all of us every day are standing right next to this river of flow. And we have a choice whether we surrender and drop into that river of flow, which gives us a sense of limitless potential, or do we stay in a place where we need to control and predict everything? That's a quote from Coach Sarah Derenbacher. She is a leadership and performance coach, and we're talking today about one of the Wake Up Eager Leader habits, which is enter the zone. And Sarah's talking about the river of flow. We also talk about playing from the neck up and working outside the pocket of play, what that means in athletic performance, and what it can mean for you as a leader, how it can impact your level of performance. A lot of what we're talking about today with Sarah is her work with athletes and how that translates into work in the office and in your organization. Sarah shares four performance barriers that can keep athletes out of the zone or out of the flow, five actions that you can take to prepare for high performance, and four actions you can use when you're in high pressure performance situations. So I know that you want to prepare for high performance. I know that you have high pressure situations that you're dealing with. These tips and this insight, I think, will be inspirational to you. And I think you're going to walk away with some new thoughts about managing mindset and dropping into, as Sarah calls it, the river of flow, what that looks like, what that means, and how you can create that for yourself. Also, if you're a client and you worked with the Trimetrics assessment, there'll be some references to some of the parallels about what's being covered in our conversation today to that assessment. If you haven't taken the assessment, no worries, but there'll be some nuggets in there for you if you are a Trimetrics client. So I'm excited to share this information with you. It's how athletes get in the zone. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode number 46 with Susie Price. Glad to be here. So fun to talk to you and to share this information, to have spent the time I did with Sarah Derenbacher on our topic today, which is how athletes get into the zone and how we translate that into you and the wake up eager habit of entering the zone. I am an assessment facilitator and author and professional facilitator I am the producer of this podcast and the owner of Priceless Professional Development. We are in our 15th year, and I want to tell you about Audible.com. They provide some support to podcasts and give us a gift that we can give to you. Audible is a service that makes it very easy to listen to audiobooks on your iPhone and any of your smartphone-type tools. If you use our link, audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce, and you sign up for audible.com for a 30 day free trial, they'll give you a free audiobook. So they have over 150,000 titles that you can choose from. As I mentioned, you can listen to them on your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, your MP3 player. Recently, one of the books I recently listened to was The Alchemist, a fable about following your dream. It was interesting. It was one of the favorite books of Tim Ferriss, 
which is a podcast I enjoy listening to. He always has interesting and outrageous topics and he interviews interesting people. And I've learned a lot from him in regard to podcasting and how to interview as well as his content. So I listened to that book, The Alchemist, and really enjoyed it. And several of the books that we talk about today, actually all of them that we talk about today in my interview with Sarah are available on audible.com. We talk about presence, finding flow, finding your why, the rise of Superman. There'll be links to all of those books in the show notes so you can get them from Amazon, but you could also go to audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce. That's all one word, audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce. And if you try that out, you get to keep your audio book, whether you keep audible.com or not. And it gives us a little bit of recognition through Audible that you visited there. So I mentioned that we're talking about the wake a beaker habit, enter the zone. And I want to take a minute just to tell you about this series that I talked about at the end of our last podcast. It's a series that I'm doing right now on the five wake a beaker habits. The wake a beaker habits are explained through an acronym. Eager, E-A-G-E-R, and they are habits that are applicable across all levels of leadership and in your whole life. I started blogging about these areas back in 2009. They've been things that I've been thinking about and working on and learning my entire life, and I believe that they are five key areas that are important to having a successful and happy leadership career. They are both personal and professional. They are based on scientific research, professional development, and my own experience. So I'm happy to revisit these. Here are the five habits, and here's the acronym. E, enter the zone, and I've got two podcasts that we'll have on this in this series. A, activate greatness. I'm working on a book around that topic now. G, grow trust. E, evaluate job fit. I have a book on that, How to Hire Superior Performers, and R, Recalibrate Daily, and I have a book on that. So eventually, I'd like to have five books, one for each of the habits. So the habits are a combination of technical things like evaluate job fit, can't create a wake-up-eager workforce if you're not hiring the right people, and then interpersonal skills, activate greatness, grow trust. And then the two ends there are about some of your own self-management, self-awareness, so that you bring the best of who you are to your work. So I'm excited about this. So enter the zone. What is it? Because that's what this podcast is about. It's a focus on working at a high level of energy. It's your ability to reduce your internal resistance and focus your efforts and outlook so that you not only excel in your work, but you're positively influencing and empowering others. And you'll hear a lot of that when we talk today with Sarah, because we talk about her top player on this basketball team had a fear of failure. And so she had internal mental tension, even though she was a standout and she was a key leader on the team. So Sarah provides tools around that. How do I mentally get out of my head and get away from the worry of failure and produce? And then, you know, the influence that she had on the rest of the team when she got into alignment or she entered the zone. Athletes and artists talk about it a lot, about being in the flow or being inspired, or spiritual teachers will talk about surrender or getting in the vortex. All of that, to me, I see that as the same thing, which is entering the zone, getting in this place of high performance where you're not pushing against what you're trying to produce or do, and you're in the zone, you're in the flow. And I believe that you can consciously choose 
to work towards being in the zone. By growing your confidence, growing your expertise, managing your mindset, and doing a lot of the things that we're talking about today in this podcast so that you bring all of who you are to your work as a leader, physically, mentally, and spiritually. Work is a lot more fun when you're doing that, and that's what we want. We want you to have high performance and to enjoy it while you're doing the work. So let me read to you a little bit about Sarah's background. She's a leadership and performance coach. She works with entrepreneurs, executives, and sports teams in the areas of peak performance, leadership, team culture, flow, mindset. She's got 15 years of experience, worked with a variety of businesses. The name of her business is Evolveability, and I'll put a link to her website in the show notes. And she helps athletes and leaders grow beyond limitations. And a lot of times those limitations are mental. It's just not all mechanics. She uses neuroscience research, mind-body alignment practices, and human growth and development strategies. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about today, in fact, that's how she was introduced to me, was through her work that she did with the Rochester Institute of Technology women's basketball team. So the head coach engaged her to help that team get through a very specific goal. They had a three-week, six-game losing streak. So the pressure was on. And they had had this kind of losing streak in past seasons. So the coach talked to Sarah and said, hey, help me help the players improve their leadership skills, help them gain their confidence, get more self-aware, and help them perform well under pressure. So they knew how to play. They were good players, but it wasn't coming out in the games shown by the six-game losing streak. And there were 15 new records for the program after the work they did together. So great results. Just a couple of the records. They had their best record in the program history of Rochester Institute of Technology. They had a 23-7 to season. They have their first ever NCAA tournament victory. And they had Liberty League Coaching Staff of the Year. Those are just some of the accolades out of the 15 that I'm mentioning here. They had a tremendous number of breakthroughs from the staff to the players. And the overwhelming feedback from the athletes was not only was it their best season ever, but it was the most fun they had had compared to any other season. And that they would take what they learned with them as they move forward in their career. So that's pretty awesome. And that is the goal. And one of the things, there's another quote by Sarah, and then we'll kick it off to get into the interview. She closed our interview with this. Elite performance does not have to come at the expense of yourself. When you drop into the river of flow, you can be more of you and deliver high performance. So that's what it's all about. Drop into the river. And let's talk about that now with Sarah. What does it mean to drop into the river of flow? We're going to kick it off with a quirky question, and then we get right into the content. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Ah, glad you're here. We're going to start with our quirky questions, which before the call, you said it was not easy to pick which ones you wanted to uh, have me ask you. <laughs> so I can't no. wait to hear your answers. <laughs> it's just a way to get to know you. What Favorite possession? Favorite possession. I'm not super attached to things, but one of the things that I have kind of carried with me through all of my different moves in life is this tiny photograph of my great-grandmother. And she is in this 1920s flapper dress, complete with the hat on top, and she is smoking a cigar with her pearls on and her foot kind of propped up on this pail. And the whole picture just kind of radiates this freedom and a little bit of that inner wild that she 
very much had. What a great picture. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was probably taken when? 1930s. Wow. And she's smoking a cigar, got her foot propped up, but is all dressed in female outfit. Very girly outfit, Very much. Right? She's, yep. She's got her heels on, her pearls, and almost this kind of 1920s, 30s flapper dress style attire. I like it. I like that she must uh, sit on your shoulder and guide you as you do the things you do. She maybe. sure does. Yeah, she that. sure does. Love that. Amazing how those folks, we don't even know it when we're little, but they kind of become our way showers they sure going do. forward. Yes. She and I had a very special connection, and there was a lot that was said in the silence between us, and she is very much still with me. So. Oh, I love that. Love mm-hmm. that. Let's dig in some more now in about how athletes get in the zone and what's so perfect about our discussion or you taking time to be with us today is you not only work in corporate America, but you work with athletes. So the whole idea, and I'm just going to preface this a little bit so everybody listening will get where I'm from and then you and I will definitely know that we're in sync. Wake up eager leader habits is enter the zone. And usually when I'm talking about that, it's about reducing resistance It's about internal resistance to your mental and emotional focus. It's about excelling in your daily life. It's about in your work and as well as how you influence others being a leader. And it includes spending time focusing your mind and your energy so that you go to meetings. And as a leader, the work you do, you perform at a high level and work on reducing your internal resistance. Talk about a situation around athletes, since you do both athletes and leaders or work with both athletes and leaders, where an athlete was struggling to meet their goal, and it might be a female since the basketball team might be your example, but what was getting in the way for this athlete to meet their goal of performance, and then how did you work through with them so they could get back in the zone or get into their high performance? This is a really exciting topic for me to talk about, and particularly this example. So it was a female athlete, happened to be a fourth-year student in college. She's in the physician's assistant program, and so she's got this jam-packed curriculum. She's brilliant. She was carrying a 3-9 average, team captain, and she was a phenomenal presence. And yet, even with all of that going for her, she was crippled by fear inside of these big game situations. She could show up to practice and have, you know, the scrimmages of her life leading up to, you know, this really big game. And once Friday night rolled around and it was time to perform, she went into this kind of paralysis. Her depth of field or her court vision is what it's called in basketball shrunk. She would get out there and she would play reactive versus proactive. She would miss most of the shots that she had made all week in practice. They were close, but they rarely would go in. And she would foul on defense, which are, you know, kind of quote unquote mistakes that just were not present in practice leading up into this game. We had a meeting and we started through this kind of inquiry process, really looking at and identifying, okay, what is it, you know, that she is afraid of, knowing that fear really constricts and provides some pretty heavy resistance for us in performance. And it became clear that she had this fear of failure, which is not uncommon for humans, obviously, and given, you know, physician's assistant program, maintaining a 3-9 average, right, failure just wasn't an option for her. Mm -hmm. 
And so, so particularly with high performers, people yes. think they don't have any fear, but I think <laughs> it's what propels them to be yes. a high performer, right? Is that what's yes. going on with her? Yes, absolutely. And so there's actually this thing called the challenge to skill ratio that's talked a lot about in being in the zone or what I call being in flow, which is... Challenge to what? It is what was it? Challenge to skill ratio. To skill ratio. Okay. Which is to say, in low stress situations, those typically produce low performance in most cases. In high stress situations, or in too high of stress situations, oftentimes that produces uh, low performance. And so the idea is to find the middle, to find that optimum kind of what I call tautness, where it's enough stress to push you just beyond your comfort level, but not so much stress that it causes that shutdown, that paralysis. Okay, so your challenge to skill ratio, that's a great thought. I think that's awesome. So for her, she had the high skill in this, but the challenge went up, her ratio changed. Is that right? Yes, yes, exactly. And so, you know, the experience that she was having as she went onto the court was this really disconnected experience. She was playing the game from what I call the neck up, just entirely in her head. And so Ooh, her mind yep, would take yep. Yeah, so her mind would take over, but obviously when you're trying to be in the zone, you need all of yourself in those really important moments. So she was playing from inside of the fear versus coming from inside of the trust in her abilities. And so as we continued to kind of unpack this fear, what we ended up doing was redefining failure, right? And she came up with this idea that failure is not making a mistake or misstep on the court. Failure is simply not putting in the effort to be the best that you can be. Because we all know that we can have the game of our lives or the presentation of our lives, and we're probably going to make some mistakes inside of those really important games. But that's not failure. In fact, if you actually learn to anticipate that failure is part of high performance, you will be less stuck when that failure happens. So did she resist, and I see this, and maybe you have too in corporate, especially with high performers, it takes a little while for they'll admit or even realize, maybe they don't even know that they're playing or working from the neck up and have this ratio being off, their challenge to skill ratio. So in a high stress situation, they're not performing well, but they would deny for quite a period of time if you were to try to say, do you have a fear of failure? How hard was it to help her realize or get to the realization that that was getting in the way? Because I think, I don't yeah. know if it's just men or if it's just in corporate because of the fear of, you know, corporate oversight. Any thoughts on that? Absolutely. I think fear has been kind of a terrible four-letter word for a long time, and not just in corporate, but for humans, right? Be fearless. All of the rhetoric that we are sold, you know, is to have everything under control. And so, yes, really peeling back the layers and finding out that in most cases, fear is actually what is running the show. That takes yeah. a little while. Yeah. Yeah. You see enough, you know, so that's what helps us as coaches and consultants. We see enough and we can get to know the person and figure out how to help them see it. But in this case, since she's such a high performer and had so much going on, how did she get to the realization, oh, yeah, that is getting in the way? She you know, was. Was it just out of questions or conversation? We had a couple of conversations and she was also really committed. 
she is what I would call connected to her deep desire. So she had a really big sense of what she really wanted out of this experience of being an athlete. And that desire is actually what was keeping her open to, yeah, whatever we need to put on the table here to figure this out, because I know my skill set, there's something else must be going on. She was willing, I would say, to really look at some of the stuff that some others aren't. And so we kind of did this four-step process that was about awareness, acknowledgement, acceptance, and then adjustment. Each time she went on the court, she had more and more what I call body awareness, where mind-body was connected and she could feel if she was about to hit a shutdown. Then she would acknowledge that that fear was there. She would accept it, which, to your point, reduces the resistance. You just acknowledge it. Of course, there's fear there. We're terrified as human beings in most situations, right? We have a very fragile ego in a lot of ways. (laughs) And so, yeah. Of course, we're going to be scared. And once she acknowledged it and didn't try to pretend that it wasn't there, then she made the adjustment to shift to the part of herself that she trusted. Uh, yeah. yeah, she went on to play nearly every game of the season. And she played more minutes in this particular season than she played in the last three combined, including making an appearance in the Sweet 16 game. Awesome. Mm-hmm. She conquered the fear. Conquered it by feeling it, accepting it. Okay, this is how I feel in the moment so it could wash through. It's interesting. The more you push against, the more it persists, you know. Mm -hmm. So she let it flow through your coaching and then was able to adjust. Yeah, there's a really new AG saying called what we resist persists. Yeah. She had a strong desire to, what did you call it? You said she had a strong connection to her desire. What was the word you used? She had a strong connection or alignment to her deep desire. So sometimes what that could look like in corporate and on the trimetrics assessments that a lot of people listening have taken, it's the coachability. So someone you know, has confidence in who they are, but they're open and receptive to learn more. Yeah. That is somebody who's, if they really lack confidence, and sometimes they're very reactive and it's hard to hear. So they're defensive because they're trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. Okay, I know who I am, and I'm not so threatened by you questioning this, so I can let it in and learn, which is like more alignment with yourself, even though in the moment you might be holding back. But I like that she had a strong alignment to her goals and who she was and wanted to experience. So she really knew what she wanted as season, right? It's her last, what did you say? She was in her fourth year, so the last season in college? Yeah, you got it. That helped too. And all of that, Susie. It's just so beautifully said. So beautifully said. I love the four-step process. So I've got to be aware that something's going on, and I've got to be aware of it in the moment. I've got to acknowledge it and not act like it's not there. Some people don't acknowledge because they're afraid it'll take over. Is that what you experience? That is 100% of what I experience. And if I allow myself to be afraid or acknowledge that there is fear there, yeah, it's going to absolutely consume me. And also, right? Because we worry about the external. Who am I going to be if I say that I have this fear? And this is actually a really big discussion on this team, because if they said they had some fear or performance anxiety, they were afraid the coach was not going to play them. Yeah. So they have this thing where they need to package it all up and put a bow on it, even if it was false versus sitting in the reality. I would say that that is absolutely prevalent 
inside of corporate America. I see that with some of the executives that I coach as well. Yeah. So our fear is the reason we put a because we don't want to get kicked off the team or we don't want to look weak. Mm-hmm. But if you actually sit in the reality, which would mean, okay, yep, I'm really feeling this. <laughs> it sucks, but I feel it. What actually yep. happens, especially like with this team? What did they experience when, when they you, were able to sit? Yeah, when you sit in it, it actually reduces the power of that feeling. It takes away the energy of the fear. And so when we acknowledge that it's there, there's just kind of this, oh, much like all of the rest of our feelings kind of come and go, fear comes and goes as well. And so when that power is removed, you know, from this pathologized kind of negativity around feeling this fear, we actually have more access to our kind of inner strength, power, and presence, this idea of presence. Right? When we are in that really deep alignment with ourselves, we show up as incredibly present. And we've talked about presence a, on this podcast. How would you talk mm-hmm. more about it, how you see it showing up when someone is more present or they have more presence? What happens? There's a wonderful book, actually, by Amy Cuddy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but the book is actually called I Presence. Am. Yep. Okay, wonderful. And there is a phenomenal example that she uses about you know this big presentation that this, you know, individual is going to do. And anyway, the analogy that I make for this is, especially with these athletes and sometimes student athletes, it's the difference between sitting in a lecture and being delivered important information by a professor and you leave and you know that you got what you needed to get versus sitting in a lecture hall and being captivated by this professor who is so in alignment with what it is that they're doing in front of the room that not only do you get the information, but you can feel a resonance. You can feel the inspiration. You can feel the motivation. And there is an actual energy exchange that happens when you are inside of that pocket of presence. Love it. And it's key for this basketball team since she was the leader, team captain. Is that right? Team captain? Was she team captain? Yes. Team captain. Yeah. She she was one of a few. Yep. She was the role model. So if she could do Mm -hmm. this, acknowledge how she was feeling and increase her performance, it helped the whole team. And the record, I had you send me the information based on this work. They ended a six-game losing streak and ended up having their best record in history. They had their first NCAA tournament victory not even all the accomplishments, the award of coaching staff of the year. So starting from, we got a six-game losing streak to, you know, you working with this team captain and their other players to get everybody aligned in the zone, getting back on their A game, even their B game as opposed to the CDF game. Um, (laughs) That's right. You know, look at all that happened. That's amazing. Yeah, it was great. So let's talk about enter the zone is the word I use, but or you can walk out of it kind of thing. What would you say your definition of being in the zone is? Yeah, call so, it flow? so my language, yeah, my language for being in the zone is being in flow. And there is a ton of research kind of that was started by the godfather of flow, a Hungarian psychologist, Mihai Chik C. Mihai. And the idea is that when you are in flow, you have this total absorption in the task at hand. It's when awareness meets action. The example that we just used with that player, she had the awareness that the fear was kind of you know, driving her performance. 
she met that awareness and that fear with action and shifted into that place of trust. So it's absolutely when awareness meets action. There is complete concentration. And when you're inside a flow, there's a bunch of performance-enhancing neurochemicals that start kind of firing off in our minds. And so that self-consciousness, that inner critic that is pretty relentless for all of us, completely disappears. Essentially, all aspects of performance are heightened. I have this analogy that I make of kind of, you know, all of us every day are standing, you know, right next to this kind of river of flow. And we have a choice about whether we kind of surrender and drop into that river of flow, which gives us kind of that sense of limitless potential, or do we kind of, you know, stay in this place where we need to control and predict all of the time. Love that. When you drop into that river of flow, you know, you're really kind of surrendering every other thing that is going on in your life, right, at that moment in time. And you are saying that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be in this moment doing this particular task. And when you're able to do that, and this is how it shows up for athletes, there is this anticipation that happens inside of play that you don't see if you are not in quote-unquote flow. There was this situation that happened in, I think it was the first round of the NCAA tournament for this particular team. And on paper, Rochester Institute of Technology should have lost that game. And with a couple of minutes left, they were down by, I think, 16 points. And they were in flow. The point guard, you know, she's one of the best point guards in D3 in the country, banked a three-pointer that she has never made before. Never made before. (laughs) Yeah. It was evidence of how in flow they were. And so there is this kind of access to limitless potential when you're inside of this flow. So now let's talk about what you've observed in athletes. You know, what difference does it make when they're in the zone, out of the zone, or in the flow, out of the flow? We hear a little bit about about what happened with the situation that you just shared. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that feels important to note in our time together is that athletes and teams or leaders and executives, they can play when they're out of flow and still do well, but you just won't be able to easily access or go beyond the limitations in our mind or go beyond the actual level of talent. It's that whole notion of working harder, not smarter. Flow or being in the zone really allows us to open up to working smarter. And so it's not that you won't do well if you're not in the zone. It's just in the zone gives you kind of that extra oomph, if you will, in whatever it is that you're doing. And so would you say a leader would know if they're paying attention? I think I know for myself, but I pay attention to it when I'm in flow and out of flow. You can still do the work, so I can still do what I do and it'll be okay. How do you think, and let's talk about athletes and then talk about leaders, how do athletes know when they're out of flow? Because we kind of know when we're in flow because everything's kind of perfect. What's feeling different? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so athletes describe being out of flow as being kind of just outside of the pocket of play. So this could be, you know, one second too late to the pass. It's anything when you're not anticipating, when you're not in that really anticipatory moment-to-moment. Some of the flow research describes that aspect of flow as kind of time dilation, and so time either dilates or shrinks. You either feel like you are in this infinite moment, 
or you feel like time has just passed incredibly fast. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when you're in the zone or in flow, because you're so in that moment, you don't actually know you're in flow. You only know that you are in flow when you come out of it and are reflecting. Mm. So it's being in the moment. It's the mindfulness. It's being, I've talked about it and had interviews here about relational presence. So being present, that's a sign you're in the flow and you might not even notice it. You're just on is what I'm hearing. Exactly. Exactly. Because when we're in that zone, when we're in flow, that whole piece of the self-consciousness where we're evaluating what is happening is shut down because we are just in performance mode. Yeah. Yeah. So you're present. I like this frame outside of the pocket of play. I'm there. I'm doing it, but I'm a second behind or I'm, yeah, Yeah. that's really good. What else would you share about this? Yeah, I think when you're in that flow, if someone was to observe you, this individual would be having, you know, less time spent in fear, more time spent in the moment. Again, that anticipatory energy. You have a greater ability to take more risks. You're able to make plays or shots or, again, give presentations that exceed your actual level of talent and you get done and you wonder where the heck that thing just came from. There's a flow of communication that is happening. You have this sense of full trust in yourself and in your team and just this higher level of overall individual and team performance. There's an individual athlete that I'm actually working with right now who has had chronic injuries. She's a soccer athlete, and she, from a talent standpoint, has a pretty phenomenal talent. But this injury has provided mental blocks and hurdles to her showing up on the field and really being, you know, in that moment. And so we are working on a series of visualizations where, She can move through that block and have that full sensory experience prior to her performance on the field. So what she's doing because of the previous injuries is she's holding back, kind of almost anticipating another injury, probably. Yes. Some of the blocks. Yes. So the visualization is kind of helping her see her playing injury-free so she can kind of release the negative imaging that she's having that's holding her back? Would that be? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. There are a couple of common, what I call personal performance barriers to being in flow. There's actually four of them that show up pretty regularly. I can go through those if that would be. Yes, that would be awesome. Okay. Wonderful. So the first one that shows up, we'll just call these all for athletes, but you will see that they are pretty uh, core to the human experience. So the first one is fear of failure. And that shows up as kind of this paralysis, if you will, and not really taking risks. And the impact is if you've got, for example, on a soccer field, you know, a forward whose role is to go to goal and she is afraid of missing that shot, she is likely not going to take a whole lot of those shots. And so that whole ability to take risks at critical times completely shuts down. The second personal performance barrier that comes up frequently is this idea of perfectionism, which just provokes this anxiety in high-pressure situations for some elite performers. There was, for example, a freshman. She was a starter last winter on the basketball team. And because of her lack of tenure on the team and just being kind of situations, the need to get it right 
again, just kind of shut her down. And that whole concept of playing from the neck up set in. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing from the neck up, you're just in your head. There's no connection with intuition or instinct. Is that right? How would you describe? You talked about it earlier, but how would you restate from the neck up what that looks like or is? That is complete just being in your head and not having that mind-body connection. And in order to really be in flow or be in the zone, you have to have full body awareness. You have to have that sensory experience that's going. You need to be aware of how you are showing up to the moment with as much of yourself as you can. And so playing from the neck up precludes you from being able to do that for sure. That's fear. You know, that saying running around like a chicken with your head cut off. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The way that these chemicals affect our bodies are real. And that paralysis, that shutdown is not just proverbial shutdown. That is an actual experience that your body is having from the, you know, wash of cortisol that it's getting from trying to manage that stress in that situation. The analogy you'd think about is I think about a speaker who freezes or they're doing a presentation and they're just kind of disconnected from the audience. So like this good content, but they're just There's no connection with the audience, so what I would say is they're playing from the neck up as well. Their whole self isn't into it, so it's just almost robotic. Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, Susie, but... Yes. But I certainly have had those experiences. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. Why I did. That's why I did speaking circles for a while because I wanted to. And that's where you have to. And I did a podcast on it. But it is where you present with no notes and you get feedback. And so it's to not try to be in my head so much. You know, to just mm-hmm. be present and have confidence in the fact that if I show up, what I need to say will be said. I've had a big old dose of that perfectionism. A lot of it's released now, but I see it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we've got four personal performance barriers, right? They're the four Mm -hmm. high-performance barriers. Fear of failure, perfectionism. What else? Mm -hmm. The third one is not being connected to your kind of deepest desire or your why. And how this shows up with athletes is when they're getting ready for the game, if their only desire or their purpose for playing is to win the game, Their ability to win that game is really challenged at that point in time. It's very limited because that is not enough. What we know about, you know, the way that we perform as humans, when the going gets tough, if you're not deeply connected to what it is that you're doing there on that court, on that field, beyond just winning the game, you know, our body loves equilibrium. So we will negotiate away any discomfort in any way that we can. And so if all of a sudden halfway through that game, we decide that it's okay if we don't win, We're not going to show up. We're not going to have our whole selves there. We're not going to be able to find that flow state. And so being able to make a very solid connection to that deep desire to your why is essential. And when you think about flow, for example, in adventure sports, right, when you've got someone climbing Everest, right, when they could fall off the mountain and essentially die at any point, you know, talk about really needing to be connected to your why and to your reason to be able to be in flow to sustain that kind of experience. That's what we're talking here. That's the kind of connection that we need to the why. If you ask someone casually, so if your why, if you're a soccer player or basketball player, is to win, I think on the surface many of us would think, well, that should be enough. But it isn't enough because 
what you could not win, and then so if you get to where you're not winning, you might give up. So what are some yeah. examples of otherwise in the athletic world first, outside of, hey, I want to win this game? Because in corporate, what you see is a lot of people saying, I want to make as much money as I can. That might yep. be similar or a similar assumption. What would you say for athletes? What's some otherwise that you've gotten people to realize? Yeah. Take hold of. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite pieces to really work with athletes on. And it's all around passion, which is the level of desire. And actually in Latin, passion means to long or wish for. And there's two levels, if you would, around passion. There's surface, which is more of the external, just kind of what we've been talking about. We can call that the house, the money, the car, the winning. And then there's this other kind of passion called deep passion, which is there are things like creativity, innovation, complete acceptance of ourselves, belief in our own talents, serving our highest good. And so you can feel the energetic difference between those two on the surface. It's not that those are unimportant because these can work in tandem. But when you think about going through a difficult situation where you need to have some resilience, the more deeply connected you are to that desire or to that why, the greater ability to move through that. But so the surface is a lot of the external motivation and has kind of this quality of chasing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the deep desire is the intrinsic piece. And the idea here is that you really become the desire in this place. Mm-hmm. Love that. What I would also note is some of that will come from, and if the people have taken the trimetrics assessment, they'll see their motivators. So what are your motivators? Those are clues sometimes on your deepest yes. desires. You know, it can give you some more insight. Plus, I think influenced by others or things that have always been important to you that may or may not have gotten paid for, but are part of who you are and what other people say are your strengths and how you add value. It's probably tied in there, Mm -hmm. do you think? Do you find that with your athletes? Absolutely. And this is a really big inquiry process that I do with them around this, right? Because in a lot of cases, there's not just one answer, and there certainly is no right answer. This is highly dependent and very individual. But one of the things that I like to ask on this topic is what is it? that makes you feel alive Ooh, because so often we put limitations on how we think about this, right? So for example, to the audience, they may be thinking about, okay, what's my passion about my role or this job or this company that I'm working for as a human being? What is it that makes me feel alive? It doesn't have to have any connection right now to this thing that you're doing. And then eventually as you kind of live into that desire, it will start to show up in different, more connected ways. But free yourself. These are the exercises that I do with clients that I work with. Free yourself of all of the limitations that we so often place on ourselves. Really ask these questions. You know, what is it that we really want? What is it that makes us come alive? I can remember, oh gosh, it was probably 20 years ago. And I remember I was talking to a career counselor because I had a good job and I wasn't happy. And she said something about, what is it you want? What do you really want? Or, you know, something similar to that. I remember just staring at her like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. (laughs) Like a deer in the headlights. I mean, I'm very clear on it now, and it's part of, you know, everyday discussions. But at the time, it was so new. And I would think to probably a lot of folks it might be, you know, what do you want and why do you want it is a good discussion. I love what you just said, too, about what is it that makes you feel alive. 
Do you get immediate answers from folks, or do they have to think about it, or what happens when you ask that question? <laughs> oh, no. People, people have to think about it. And actually, there's probably like a solid 60 to 90 seconds of, you know, is this woman in front of me a little crazy? What is she asking me this for? Like, <laughs> I'm on this path. And then as they start to follow that thread, there's an opening that they've never experienced before and a connection to that desire. And that's it. Once you get that spark, once you find that, it does not matter how small it is. Once you find that spark, it's like you can't unsee it. You can't unfeel it. And so mm, uh, love that. it really ignites this other way of being. You know, I'll tell you another story. There was a player, again, on the basketball team who was up to become the leading scorer, to take the record for leading scorer. And she was really conflicted because she was a team player and she didn't want to necessarily put that goal out there and, you know, be viewed as quote unquote selfish. She wanted it, but she wasn't necessarily wanting to kind of share that with her team, with her coaches. And so, you know, we did kind of this inquiry exchange, you know, over coffee where I was asking her, you know, how bad do you really want this and what is this about for you? There is something, you know, called a repeating question, which was a technique that I used with her where every time she gave me an answer, I said, okay, how bad do you really want this? She gave me an answer, and then I said, how bad do you? And it took about 15 times for her to meet up with that spark Mm -hmm. where she actually could feel how bad she really wanted this. And she did it. She went on to take the record. Uh, Do you recall what, what she landed on after the 15th time or some summary of it? Yeah, it went from this tentative, well, yeah, I want it. And almost this kind of desire for me to see that she wanted it and for me to believe it, which, you know, we all know, it doesn't matter how much someone else believes it. And so it wasn't feeling really it, still in her head, right? Yes, very much in her head. And then even when she acknowledged and became aware of it and shared it, it wasn't until that 15th time that she just looked at me, she was like, yeah, I want this. I want this thing. And it was immediately following that she took it upon herself to go have the conversations with the, you know, people she needed to have them with and find out if this was something that the team was in support of. And so she really, you know, created her own opportunity here to be able to do this because she was able to connect to that spark. So if you connect with your deepest desire and you actually connect like she did, move from tentative to owning it, feeling it, There's not much else that has to happen because I think what you just said and what I think I really agree with is once the spark is ignited, it's ignited. So you don't have to continually stoke it. Your coach or colleague or friend or family member could help remind you periodically if you forget for a moment. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, it has energy that carries us forward is what I'm hearing. It does. There's things that we need to do to get out of the way of that energy, to let it continue to use the analogy stoke it, which is a great analogy. But, yeah, once it's there, it is there. It all gets back to what do I internally care about, which is it's such a great reminder to anyone either leading a team or in a corporation. You can talk about the extrinsic all day, house, car, you know, or, you know, got to make the money so we all win if you're an employee owner or whatever, your bonus. But it only goes so far. you got to help people connect with their deep passion. That's good. And I think everybody can find that. And I don't think it requires a rewiring of your entire work. If you know what drives you, then you can find ways to use it and do more of it on the job, off the job. Okay, so what else do you want to share around or feel would be important to share around not being connected to your deepest desire, your why, performance barrier? 
Anything else? The fourth, yeah, well, the fourth and final performance barrier is stress. And that is a small word for such a huge bucket, uh, especially <laughs> the, way, <laughs> the way that we all live our lives in this constant state of kind of pressure to perform. And stress absolutely has an impact on, you know, our ability to move in and out of flow. Because if we can't do it with our heads, what else are we going to do it with? And when our minds are just completely occupied, that's the stress. And it sends, you know, us into this high cortisol, fight, flight, freeze, our amygdala, you know, is going crazy. And we're not actually able to drop into the now. And so, you know, there are, especially with student athletes, so many number of stressors from, you know, papers to relationships to money to all of these things that you wouldn't necessarily attribute to performance but they absolutely affect our ability to be in flow. This is why if there is, for example, an executive who is having, let's say, financial difficulty at home, carrying that pressure into work almost guarantees you that you will not be in flow. doesn't mean you won't be able to perform the task at hand, yep. but your ability to do it in a certain kind of way will absolutely be impacted by the level of stress that you are carrying. There are people listening who have taken the trimetrics assessment. There's a part in the assessment that measures internals, and it, part of it is role awareness, and it's how in harmony are you in around your roles. You know, so who am I as a human, Beautiful. as a husband or wife, as well as my work role. And sometimes we'll see where that's dropped really low. You can get a score of 0 to 10. And when it's low, what I always say is, you know, is this work-related or personal? And every time it's low, if I'm talking to the person one-on-one, there's something usually either work, I'm not clear about what's expected at me at work, so they're under a lot of stress because they don't know whether they need to go right or left, and or it's somebody's ill, really sick, like a close family member, or there's financial, there's something every time, and, you know, then all coaching, everything goes towards, okay, how do we help you help yourself fix this, you know, have this grow, have this harmony with your role. I love what you says is if you have that, you cannot drop into the now, so you can still do the work, but you're not going to have any chance of being in flow. That's powerful. So with athletes, how do you help them manage this? They're a pressure cooker in regard to, you know, like, so this team you were working with, they were trying to go for the championship. What are some things there? And then we can also talk about just people who aren't athletes, but what are some things that you do as a coach? Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that I'm not sure if we've talked about yet, but that's essential for being in flow is high consequences. So there has to be a risk that someone is taking in order for them to actually be in flow. And so being really specific and clear about that in combination with being really clear about your goals helps to balance the lens that we're looking through when we think about stress. That's kind of how I would set the stage from the mind standpoint, from the mindset standpoint. And then there are embodiment practices that I use with players and sometimes coaches, actually, that help bring them into single attention. Mm. So another factor that's essential for flow is that state of concentration and where we are validated in many ways for our ability to multitask in the world. This is one place where that does not serve us. Mm. And so to be able to come into the single attention to let the stress dissolve or at least compartmentalize it for this performance 
and really come into full body awareness, there are some embodiment practices. Um, what would be a couple that, I do with. that you share? Yes. So there are the visualizations, which we've talked about. Yeah. There are multiple kinds of these visualizations, whether we're visualizing specific moments in performance or we're visualizing the performance from kind of beginning, middle to end. That's one. There is meditation, and there are multiple forms of meditation. Usually what I work with with athletes is kind of a full body scan where, again, it takes us from our head back into our body. A third embodiment practice is restorative movement. This is any kind of movement to get you back into your body, whether this is, you know, dance or I had a player who said that there was this movement that she would do on the court. She would shake her hands. It was just her cue to come back into her body. could be a walk in nature. It could be anything that, again, helps you leave your mind and just come back into your body. Mm-hmm. Breath, breathing, just right, probably that. Breathing, absolutely. Yep, yep. And just calms everything down. Absolutely. So when we're under stress, if we clarify our goals, that's important because there's good stress, right? So if I clarify what the goal is, it's like I am committing to climbing Mount Everest. So I get it that there's going to be stress in climbing Mount Everest. So something about clarifying that helps us be able to manage the stress better or just know that's part of it. Is that how you'd say that? Yeah, and there's something that happens when we clarify our goals we actually put ourselves in a position to receive immediate feedback when we're not meeting them from ourselves. When we buy into and agree to our goal, there are little triggers that happen along the way where we know, yes, we're on the path. No, we're not on the path. And so that feedback, that immediate feedback to reaching our goal is actually what creates some mental space and clarity. Ah, okay. So the feedback could be, I'm thinking about Finding Flow book where he talks about And I'll put a link to that book in the show notes. But playing your guitar, I mean, it causes you to focus because your goal is to play the song. So the immediate feedback is when you miss a note. So how would that show up for an athlete? They want to hit so many baskets, free throws or something like that, or practice 100 free throws a day or something. If they set that goal, then they'll know they'll miss, right? Yes, exactly. Or, for example, they have a number of points they want to try to get in the game, and then they set their performance measures. For that week, so I'm going to go in five minutes before every practice and hit, you know, 100 shots, they will know, okay, if I do this for five days in a row, 100 shots is going to translate to X percentage increase, you know, in the game. That's so important. You know, I talk about all the time there's this dashboard that I want every leader to have for every employee, which is their top three to five priorities, and then have the employee help come up with the measurements. I don't know how many people actually do it. I talked to a guy at Amazon, and they were talking about, how much time they spend on dashboards and how important they are for everybody to know what their performance goal is. And yet, I mean, I think everybody gets it, but I don't think everybody likes doing it. (laughs) I feel like I'm talking to the wind a lot about it. What do you say? Athletes, they get it. They get it, but I'll tell you, it goes right back to that barrier of fear of failure, right? Because if we set the goal, Mm -hmm. it activates the fear that we may not actually achieve that goal. Oh, yep. That is why humans prefer this state of ambiguity sometimes, right, because it keeps us in equilibrium. And, again, our body, our physiology is designed to keep us in the state of equilibrium. So we fight against it, against the very thing that could help us get what we want. But I like what you say because I can get over that if I connect with my why. Exactly. I can kind of move past it, so I want this. So that's interesting. 
and I like your embodiment practices. Are most of the athletes open and receptive to this? They are. They are. And I will tell you, it's a drastic difference, as you can imagine, in working with the athletes compared to the executives when it comes to some of these practices, because when you're an athlete, everything is with your body, right? And so yeah. and or movement is no big deal, but doing it in more of a corporate world, you know, and I've had one or two executives who kind of play with some of these things and see pretty big results. I find athletes to be incredibly open and committed to doing whatever it takes to move past some of these blocks. Yeah, I would think athletes and artists understand the difference between flow and not flow more because so much of what they do has to be mental and, you know, has to be the intrinsic and the extrinsic, you know, both. And sometimes, as in the corporate world, we get caught up in all the extrinsic and forget Mm -hmm. that there's this whole internal part that goes with. Intellect shows up in the corporate world, and it is the strength, and it is also a limitation. And again, when we rely too heavily on intellect only, that is when it becomes limitation. So if we're leaning on intellect only... We know that we're thinking a lot about the end goal. I want to make X amount and bonus. We know all that's good. We're happy. We're intellectual. Would you guide people if they say, well, there's more that I want to kind of think about these performance barriers? Would that be the place sure to start? Would. I sure would. All right. Let's talk a little bit about getting in the zone and staying in the zone or getting into flow. What do athletes do that will parallel and think about in corporate? What are some things that you prescribe around helping athletes be their best, bring their best? There's two sets of habits, if you will. There is the performance preparation, which is how do we set the stage for kind of what it is that we're about to embark upon and really create the conditions that we need individually to drop into flow. And then there are the in-performance habits or triggers uh, that happen while you're, you know, for example, out on the court or out on the field and something happens that just takes you out of flow. So a couple of the preparation for performance habits. We've talked a little bit about these, but just more concisely, number one is identify the risk. So what is it exactly that, you know, you are risking inside of this activity? Number two, clearly articulate the goals. And again, this goes beyond the win. Number three is to be aware of the performance barriers, what is going to get in the way or what has the potential to get in the way of this performance. Number four are the embodiment practices. So this is the visualizations, the meditation, and the movement. Could also be deep breathing. And number five, which are often overlooked, but release and recovery strategies. So for a long time, we thought that being in flow or in the zone was binary. You're either in the zone or out of the zone. And a lot of research that is coming out that is describing the flow state as a four-stage process of which release and recovery are two of the stages that allow us to really, you know, open to our potential and then rest and recover after we have this kind of flow experience. And really making sure that you're finding ways to nourish yourself. All right. So talk a little bit about in-performance triggers. So in-performance triggers, how this shows up is you've got, for example, an athlete who just misses a shot. And, you know, in a game situation where every second counts, 
you know, spending time outside of that pocket of flow isn't necessarily helpful, right, to advancing, you know, the team to the ultimate goal. And so there are, again, four triggers, if you will, to help get you back into flow while you're in performance, the first of which is this idea of self-talk. An athlete takes that shot, they miss the basket, you know, what's happening, and this is all in milliseconds and seconds here, what's happening is, you know, will you berate yourself for not having done it better or not having made that shot, or will you find a way to connect to, again, that trust in your talent and ability, accept mm. that you just missed that shot and move on to the next, you know, opportunity. And this is all around keeping that energy moving forward. I love that. Going back to the trimetric assessment, the higher they score on sense of self and some of the internal things that are measured on the trimetrics assessment, the acumen part, the higher sense of self, higher role awareness. What we also see are higher resiliency scores, which is an indication that their self-talk would land on the, okay, I trust what I do. I just missed that shot or I trust who I am. I'm bummed that that talk didn't go the way I wanted, but they're able to bounce back. Absolutely. So it's so relevant. Okay. So triggers. In the middle of the performance, depends on how I talk to myself when something bad happens or something less than optimal happens. What else are some of the triggers that there are four? So another one, if something less than optimal happens, to be able to bring you back, finding, and we've talked about this, but finding someone, a buddy who you connect with, who knows what your kind of keywords are or can bring you back with a question, a comment, a reminder is another way of kind of coming back to flow or back to being in the zone. I would relate that to somebody understanding you. Yeah, and they may be, you know, again, in the world of athletics, it might be, you know, a team member with whom you have a meaningful relationship that you can have a conversation and ask them, hey, you know, I get really down on myself when I miss this shot or I foul or I whatever that mistake is. If I look at you, can you say, whatever it is that they need to say, and that's going to bring me right back. Yeah, yeah. With leaders, would always say, too, is you, know, you need to demonstrate that you've heard. You know, listen, tune in, be with them. doesn't mean you're going to agree, you know, if they messed up because they, you know, didn't do what they were supposed to do. You can listen to and understand where they are, and once you do that, they're going to be able to more easily hear some suggestions. But if you start giving suggestions Absolutely. or advice right away, Ixnay, not happening. They're not going to hear it. (laughs) It's not going to help. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So many parallels here. And I know you know that because you do corporate work and have been in corporations. I know you transfer all this back and forth. But, okay, what's the next trigger? Because these are great. Another one is to take a couple of deep breaths. And what this does beyond calming us down is it brings us back into our body. So if we miss that shot, fear takes over, all of a sudden we're playing from the neck up. I mean, this all happens, like I said, in milliseconds. Fear takes over, and then we're disconnected again. We're disconnected. Mm -hmm. And so doing that quick couple of deep breaths as you're moving down the court or down the field just brings you back into your body. When you were coaching this team, and maybe you still are, did you go to the games, and if somebody, like the top players that you were talking to, would they check in with you, or were you watching them and trying to help them remember, hey, take a deep breath? Because if you're not used to doing that, you're just going to go back to freezing up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There was, there was, it was like you want to have a placard that says, breathe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll have to Couldn't try do that. that. I'll have to try that with the next team, yes. Yeah. 
it was a ton of fun to have that experience with them, but I was down there with them, you know, at court as they were kind of subbing in and out and reminding them of their cute words. Because it is. You learn these things as anything through repetition. And so until you're used to kind of relating to yourself in this way, it mm-hmm. does take a little bit of work to remember to revisit these tools. I love how you just and said so, that, yeah. relating to yourself. And that's what this is. This is self-awareness. This is tuning into what you need in the moment, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. I love that, relating to yourself. I mean, simply said, but I don't know if we often think about it in regard sure. to performance. And, and actually, it's everything. <laughs> it is, yes. Hey, what's the fourth one? The fourth one, and this is actually one that I work with coaches on, and it's something called Yes And. Yes And. This is about maintaining forward momentum, and the analogy that I love to use is improv comedians. When you think about, for example, that show, Whose Line Is It Anyway, or any kind of improv, the whole idea is to, yes, and. You are building on moment after moment after moment, right? You can't go up there and get your cue and then resist the cue, right, because that takes you out of flow. And so the idea is, and there were a couple of really defining moments, you know, for the coach that I was working with, the coach of the basketball team, where, you know, I'm on the bench and I'm, you know, kind of screaming at her, yes, and in the heat of competition, because she is, you know, really wanting her players to perform at a certain level and they're not for whatever reason. And so she can either be in resistance to where her players are or step back and say, yes, and this is where my players are. How do I meet them in this moment and help get the most from them and get the best from them? by doing that so that we can keep moving the energy forward. Hmm. So it's really a leader, coaches, if you're athletes, coaches mindset. Cannot be, damn it, you didn't make the shot. <laughs> it has to be. You got it. Okay, yes, you did not make the shot. Okay, so now, and here's what's next. What's a better way to say that? Always say yes. Oh, so I'm just trying to kind of show what the difference is. So for a leader, it might be, oh, didn't do right on that call. You need to do better. That would be the stopping momentum. You got it. And the or, yes or and yeah. would be, yes, that was a challenging call. And now let's see how we can learn from that and see what's next. Is that? You got it, Susie. Yes. Okay. Okay. You got it. So how, a, how quickly did that coach take to that? And how hard was it? You said something about screaming. <laughs> I only use that because it's a gym full of people, which was the oh, only yeah, I know. I totally got the image. It's like a lot going on, and you're trying to help her remember what she knows is going to help the team or what you know will help exactly. the team. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, this was a hard one for her, just given her leadership style. We actually did some disc profiles and things of that nature for the coaches and for the team. And given her style, this yes and strategy was not an opposition to, but certainly not a strategy that she had used prior to this season. Um, and, and now, no, no, it did not come <laughs> Let me guess. She was a high dominance. <laughs> yes. You yes. <laughs> you got it. And now this particular strategy is one of, the game changers for her. This is the one that she talks about the most when she reflects on how transformative the experience was. It was this specific thing. So for all of the leaders out there who push hard against, you know, this one thing that might be the most uncomfortable, I would encourage you to open up to that. That's probably a sign of 
where there's some opportunity there to spend some time. So if being in the flow or my language enter the zone is about reducing resistance, this is a key mm-hmm. leadership tool. If you're reducing your tension that you're now spilling out on your team. So yes and represents, say in another way besides just those two words, how did you help her get it? Who's used to being very direct and assertive, yeah. that coach. The language was shifting from resistance to forward movement. It was shifting from this critical kind of lens, if you will, to a learning and growth lens. There we go. Ding, ding, ding. I like that. The mental clarity that we have when we aren't in so much resistance, which I know I'm preaching to the choir here, is just profound. Yeah. The access that we have to ourselves, to our potential, to so many other things when we're not sitting in that resistance Here's another example, because she was able to take that strategy that yes and in this specific game that I was mentioning, you know, she met the players where they were and the play that she drew up, there might have been 10 seconds maybe left on the clock. The play that she was able to draw up as she was meeting them where they were, again, helped them win that game that on paper they would have lost because of her ability to be in the moment with them as opposed to resistant to where they were. That's profound, really. And what's so awesome about that, that's a mind shift. It changes your actions. You have to change the mental state, which then impacts the actions that you decide to take. Absolutely. That's awesome. These are great tips and insights. Wonderful. So talk a little bit about resources. Folks are listening and they're interested in, hey, I want to bring the best to who I am. I want to bring more flow to my work, to my life, Mm -hmm. to my team. Resources would you recommend? So there's a couple of books that come to mind here. I think I've talked about two of them. The first one was called The Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler. It's a fairly dense read, but there certainly are some really great nuggets that can go and be applied. The second book uh, I think that I've mentioned is Presence by Amy Mm -hmm. Cuddy, which is just phenomenal. Her way of taking this really abstract thing that happens that we haven't had a lot of language for and describing it in a way that resonates is pretty profound. Another one, which is a basic but just such a gem, is Finding Your Why by Simon Sinek. Mm -hmm. I mean, and his story of how he landed and the kind of work that he does is fascinating to me. I mean, it was through his own pain of being disconnected from his work, you know, that he kind of founded this whole, you know, find your why movement. And so when we talk about connecting to your deepest desire and your why, he has a ton of invaluable questions and ways to think about accessing that. There's a fourth one. For the performance junkies, I would say there's a book called Peak Performance, Elevate Your Game, Avoid Burnout, and Thrive with the New Science of Success, and it's by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus, and they did a phenomenal job of bringing these worlds of executives and athletes together. At the end of each chapter, there are some really basic performance strategies, again, you can go do and integrate into your day-to-day that, you know, just kind of help you take it to the next level. Awesome. Those will be in the show notes. 
pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone, Z-O-N-E. So there'll be show notes and then we'll have links to those. Anything else from there? We've gotten your key resources for the moment. Those would be it for the moment. Okay. So let's talk about you and how you get in the zone for your work and interaction. What are some key tools, actions, mindsets that you use? So, you know, you're coaching these athletes, you're coaching executives, doing your branding work. What do you do to get in the flow? Yeah, so I actually have a daily meditation practice that I do, which is about 20 minutes, at least 20 minutes every morning, and it just keeps me clear and grounded, and I find that I'm a lot more intentional about the time that I spend. If, for example, there's a big presentation where I'm going to talk to this team of athletes, you know, I will take an additional five or ten minutes and do some meditation prior to going to that presentation. That's kind of standard, foundational. Yeah. Um, that's so much a part of my day that it just happens. But I use a lot of the same tools that I kind of recommend, you know, athletes and executives use. The second one is the visualization. So I will walk through from, you know, the time I get in my car to the time, you know, I get back in my car after that presentation, what the delivery will look like, what it will feel like, how I want to feel energetically when I'm in front of the room, all of that based on how I want to show up and what I think the situation calls for. So Mm -hmm. it is a sensory experience for me before I even get there. That's a second tool, if you will. A third piece, which is about the embodiment, once I get in that car, that music is on, and I am not thinking about that presentation. And if I'm lucky, it will be at least a 10-minute drive to wherever I'm going. I turn on that music, and I just kind of lose myself and give my mind a rest so that I can get into my body. And so that when I show up, I'm less worried about the content that I'm delivering, and I'm more worried about the way that, you know, I feel in front of that room. Trusting, as you've kind of articulated, that whatever is supposed to come will come. Yeah, yep. I mean, all of it fits together, but that is so key because if we are intellectual and we're used to being in charge and control, we can have great content and people aren't going to hear one word. If we can't somehow be present to people and people feel like we are with them, kind of like the yes and mindset. You can be accurate all day, but they're not going to do a thing. They'll say yes and do no. <laughs> you got it. You got it. You know, it's like, well, yeah, she was brilliant. And, you yep. know, nothing comes of it. Anything else it. that is important to you that you want to add or does that cover it? There is a fourth thing, and, and I, I feel obligated to say this because we talk so much about it as a strategy, but there is a big piece of mindset for me and from a focus standpoint. So, When I get out of the car to do that presentation, there is not one other thing that I'm thinking about. That is the most important thing that I am doing in that moment. And so it goes from, again, this multitasking right down to the single attention. And then the second part of that mindset is risk. You know, when I'm walking in to do that presentation, I'm reminding myself of what is at risk and what is at stake here. And I think that's part of what I personally love about working in athletics because in no other industry is performance, you know, more monitored and measured. My feedback around whether or not the work I'm doing is making a difference is so evident. I just have developed this love for this kind of high-risk, high-reward environment because of that. So I'm really clear on what risk is on the table when I'm working specifically inside of athletics. So it ties to what you said earlier on about being in the flow that there have to be consequences. You know, you recognizing or reminding yourself of the risk and the reason you love it so much is because the risk helps you focus, it sounds like, or at least a piece of it is that helps you focus, which actually causes you to dip into flow with your athletes. Absolutely. Wholeheartedly. 
I feel like my work, I've been doing this for 15 years, but it became exponentially better when I started walking through everything I was going to deliver in minute detail prior to, and some would call it obsessive, but it totally (laughs) works. It's my way of visualizing, you know, so I have to the minute everything that's going to happen and how it's going to unfold and what I'm going to wear. That's not a natural thing for me. I'm a high D, Mm -hmm. high I, off the chart style-wise. But when I started doing that pre, like, I guess it's visualization. I never thought of it that way. I just thought of it as I got to go better prepared as like pre-paving. And so then once it's clicked, I can feel it's clicked, I'm done. I don't think about it again until I walk in, you know, to fly in or wherever. Whatever happens, happens. It never happens exactly the way I unfolded it. It's usually better. So with leaders, that's a big piece of it is just really pre-paving, doing the agendas for meetings, thinking things through before you do them, just being more deliberate about what you do. When you're not worried about what you're going to say, you can simply focus on how to say it in a way that meets your audience. Ooh, yep. And that is the definition of being present. (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) Can't say enough about meditation. I like doing meditation, but I would get busy and stop. So I've just started this month doing a a one-year commitment to meditating every day. Um, Good for you. It's not easy. Well, you know what I did is I'm using that app, Stick, S-T-I-C-K-K. It's free app. Oh, yes. Yep. Signed up, and it sends me a reminder every Wednesday night, how'd you do this week? And then I also did an anti-charity. So if I don't do it, which doesn't sound very meditative-like, but it works. <laughs> if I don't do it, I have to pay 10 bucks towards a cause I don't believe in. There's the risk, Susie. Oh, maybe that's it. Maybe that's why it made me giggle yeah. when I did it. And I was like, that doesn't sound very spiritual, but <laughs> I think I have to do that. Like yesterday, I was busy in, you know, personal time on a Sunday, and I about didn't do it. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm hold on, honey. i got to go meditate, see you in a little bit. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we have to set that you know, consequence up for ourselves sometimes, at least until it becomes a habit. Yeah, there we go. I hadn't even associated with consequence. Logically, that makes sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the key tools that you shared. Anything else about that, actions, mindsets on the key tools for you for getting in the zone? No, no, that pretty much says it, yeah. So if you could put a billboard to leaders and athletes about being in flow, getting in the zone, about high performance anywhere, where would it be and what would it say? Where would it be? I'll have to come back to that one. But what it would say, it would say, feel the flow. Feel the flow. Love that. As a reminder that this is a feeling state. That yes, we are bright, smart, talented, brilliant people, but that ultimately... You know, the kind of connections that we need to make to have our content even make a difference happens in this feeling state. And so just as a reminder to ourselves, right, yeah, there's this whole other piece here. Can I feel the flow? Hmm. If I'm not feeling the flow, go back to the beginning. Try again. Exactly. Well said. Ultimately, the connections we have that we make is what makes a difference or allows people to perform high or make a difference. Mm-hmm. Anywhere in particular you'd put it, all over the country or in one particular place? <laughs> all over the country. And as I'm saying, this, somewhere on the highway possibly where it's this sea of cars where we are commuting to and from 
probably a place that we may not be connected with our purpose around, you know, when we think about work and this autopilot that we all kind of go on sometimes. So uh-huh. putting it front and center on the highway where perhaps it may evoke some questioning of, gosh, am I feeling the flow? Where am I? What exactly am I doing? Where am I driving to right now? Um, uh-huh. Is this really where I want to be driving right now? So possibly on the highway would be a place, but yes, I would say all over the country. Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly in Atlanta where there's tons of traffic, and I know in New York there's tons of traffic, so <laughs> yes. everybody be so aggravated with traffic, they might not read it, but a couple people might. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah. laughs> what advice would you give your younger self about this topic? This is a really interesting question. The advice would be to open up to the awareness that goes kind of beyond mind and beyond fear. I was a pretty regimented, very from the neck up kind of operator, especially in my work world up until about eight years ago. And in fact, it almost precluded me from getting my previous job because all of the answers that I was giving in these interviews were so quote unquote perfect that they were wondering what was real about any of it. That would be the advice. Just trust myself and really open up to the awareness that goes beyond you know, the intellect and the mind and the fear and all of these things that, you know, really limit our curiosity. Because when we follow that curiosity, that gut feeling, that intuition, that leads to really uncovering our passion. And when we're following that thread of passion, that oftentimes leads to our why. And as we've talked about, once we get to that place of why, once that spark is ignited, anything is possible. So how did it shift for you eight years ago? If you were feeling like, okay, I was a neck-up operator, is this something in particular that happened? Was it those interviews? Was it a connection to your why? Because you're obviously not there today. There was a heavy feeling of this chasing energy that I was experiencing, and I never could quite make contact to what, you know, I thought was going to happen with, you know, a promotion or, you know, having the title of VP or having a raise or in these feelings that I had associated with these kinds of accomplishments. I just wasn't feeling that overwhelming fulfillment. So you get the accomplishment, but it was like there was a dud feeling about it once you met that goal. Yeah. I mean, it was like an initial hit of a high. I was, you know, really energized and really, but that would fade. It would fade. And then it would be on to the next achievement. Yeah. And so that was around the time that I actually injured myself playing indoor soccer game. And I was down for the count for like about a month and a half, just completely laid up. And that was how I found meditation. Actually mm-hmm. listened to a Deepak Chopra kind of meditation podcast when he was first doing his 21-day podcasts. And combination of how I was feeling, you know, in my work world with this opening to, oh, yeah, this deeper joy and fulfillment and connection that I was looking for just was the right recipe to really start, you know, investigating some bigger things, you know, about my life and my purpose. Mm. Love that you shared that because I would assume all of us have a story like that or there are many people listening right now who would like to have a story like that. They're feeling a little bit disconnected with what they thought they wanted that they now got. I'm not sure it's so great. Mm -hmm. That's great. So let's close with your last bit of advice or wisdom, something you would want every leader to take away from this discussion about entering the zone, finding flow. What would you say? 
I would say that if there's one thing to remember, it's that elite performance or being in flow does not have to come at the expense of yourself. That there is a different way of achieving high performance. And in fact, this kind of way, this dropping into the river of flow, actually gives you an opportunity to be more you. Mm. Bless you, but more of you. And at the same time, help you achieve, you know, higher levels of performance. If that's not inspiring, I don't know what is. That was beautiful. Drop into the river of flow and you bring more of you. That's awesome. Yes. And you'll have higher performance. Mm-hmm. Can I share a story about that that's coming up right now? Please. There was an athlete who was sharing after the season that, you know, when I first came in and was going through kind of this goal setting with them about what it was they wanted to accomplish as a team, when we put the NCAA tournament up there and possibly getting as far along as they did, you know, there was some fear that took over about, gosh, who am I going to have to turn into in order to accomplish the goal? It feels like such a monumental feat. And, you know, I've got all this other stuff in my life that I am trying to do. I can't be a WNBA player this season. And she said at the end that she would have never guessed that the way to get to that goal was to simply be more of who they were as individuals and as athletes and as a team. That would be the differentiator to getting them to this amazing place that they got last season. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, I, for one, am very glad that you had your experience when you got hurt eight years ago. (laughs) (laughs) And you've tapped into all this information and that you're sharing it with athletes and leaders and that you took time today to be here with us. So thank you very much. Yeah, I appreciate being on here. And this is such an amazing kind of time that we're all experiencing in the world. And it's great to be able to talk about this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's awesome. Now, we're going to have show notes, and we'll have everything we referenced in the show notes. Best contact information from you, we'll put it in the link in the show notes, but best way to reach you would be? Yes, you can visit my website at evolvability.co.co. Evolvability.co. Yes, and all of the rest of the information to contact me is right on there. Okay, awesome. So we'll reference that. Are you also on LinkedIn? You are, aren't you? I am, yes. Yes, you can find me on LinkedIn. I just know a lot of leaders are on there, too. So thank you so much, Sarah. All right. Thank you, Susie. So I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Sarah. I feel like this idea or understanding of entering the zone, dropping into the river flow, knowing that there is a bigger flow or energy that you can tap into for greater impact and influence and effortless performance, Um, that you could cultivate that. I think that's a game changer. It's a life changer to understand it. It doesn't have to be about struggle, you know, compromising yourself that you can tap into all of that in the zone, good influence and help people bring your best self to performance and coach all of those around you to their greatest performance. So the show notes for today's episode are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone, Z-O-N-E, all lowercase. There you're going to be able to capture the four barriers to performance areas that Sarah talked about, actions you can take for high performance and high pressure situations. And I believe that all of these apply to your work as a leader. You can also get links to all the books pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone. 
Also, don't forget about the audible.com offer where you can get a free audio book. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, audible trial, all one word, audibletrial.com forward slash wake up eager workforce. So if you are a trimetrics assessment client, go back and look at your top two motivators, that section in the assessment that's about putting gas in your tank. Look at your top two and your number six motivators. So your top two are things that you're passionate about. When Sarah talked about, you know, what makes you feel alive in the language that we use around trimetrics, what puts gas in your tank, your top two, and then your number six is some indication of things you might avoid, which can also be a motivator. Look at how you scored there. If you want some insights to the answer to that question, what makes me feel most alive? And then you can also look at the dimensional balance page on the acumen part of the assessment to see how clearly you're valuing yourself, your roles, and your future. That's a lot of internal, explains a little bit about your mental focus. And so you can kind of see because those areas can move. We call that what's under the hood. And you can really work under the hood to grow those areas. And that's the idea of that part of the tool is to see where you landed when you took the assessment. And it's about increasing your clarity, which will increase your stability, help you handle stress more. If you uh, have questions about any of that, give me a shout. If you're a client, give me a call and we'll talk it through. If you're not a client, you want to know more about the Trimetrics assessment and how you might would score in those areas to better figure your why and any questions you have about the podcast or information that we cover, it's pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. The next episode, I already recorded it today. It is with a sports psychologist, Dr. Tom Hansen. You'll notice a lot of parallels between what Sarah shares and what he shares. They say it differently, but a lot about mindset you know, how helping athletes, major league baseball players manage their mindset. I know you're going to enjoy that episode as well. It's at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone, Z-O-N-E number two, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash zone two, the number two. You can also look at that and listen to that. Love for you to leave a review. You can leave that at our Wake Up Eager Workforce directory page, wakeupeagerworkforce.com or go to the show notes page. If you have the app, we have free app, iPhone and Android app. If you have that, you can leave a review right there on your phone that'll go into iTunes and help people find us and kind of be nice to hear what you like and how it's working. And also reach out to me with any suggestions, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie. I'm on Twitter, wake up eager. That's my Twitter handle, Facebook, same thing, Wake Up Eager, and Susie Price on LinkedIn. Look forward to connecting with you. Thank you for tuning in, and I can't wait to see you on the next Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast. All the best. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 